Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Xvoyant, the one-on-one sales improvement platform that's transforming how high-growth sales leaders use Salesforce around the world. If you're one of the 97% of the sales leaders that have a sales process but don't have a structured one-on-one coaching process, check out Xvoyant today. The Exvoyant team will show you how your one-on-ones with each rep will drive purpose-driven activities in a way that will create new normals and impact your organization almost immediately. If you don't have a plan on how you can help every single rep on your team improve by at least 10%, Exvoyant can help you create a sales dynasty faster than you ever thought possible. We're excited to announce the release of the Exvoyant Sales Leadership eBook. This book features secrets of some of the world's greatest sales leaders. You'll be introduced to coaching tactics, the building blocks of high growth, and other insights you can apply to help how you lead your team. This book is free, no strings attached. So head to exvoyant.com, download the book, read it, and share it today. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we are joined by Kevin Hart, Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Challenger. Kevin heads a team leading the charge of insight-based sales around the world as they deliver on the promise of a differentiated sales experience. The Challenger team provides implementation services around the research found in the best-selling books, The Challenger Sale, The Challenger Customer, and their newest publication, The Effortless Experience. Kevin's teams drive exceptional growth by changing behaviors in sales, marketing, and service teams. Their commercial transformation programs, including message creation, skill development, and implementation support, have provided performance improvements and significant financial results to hundreds of clients around the world. Kevin knows what good looks like, and I am so stoked to discuss his story today. Kevin, welcome to our show, and thank you so much for joining us. Uh, well, thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me. Uh, excited to be here. Uh, excited for the conversation. It's going to be a good one. I I, I love uh, everything your organization does. I know the Challenger folks pretty well. I met you guys first when you're at CEB, and I can't wait to hear a little bit about that story. Uh, I believe that the Challenger series, the, the trilogy now, I guess, is required reading for every salesperson. It is for everybody that works here. And for those people who may have heard about you guys and don't know you, can we start this conversation, Kevin, by having you tell the share the the uh, challenger story with everyone? Yeah, and I mean, you know, there's two stories, right? Um, you know, there's obviously the the challenger research and where that started. I'm going to spend a minute there, and then there's you know the the story about how we wound up kind of out here on our own and and charting our own course. So, I mean, obviously the the challenger story. If you're not familiar with it. Um, I'm biased. I think it's a really good read, and I think it's a really good read um, largely because it's unlike a lot of other sales models that have been around or exist today that are based on what I think you should do or what you think they should do. This is simply a found model, right? This is a model that is based on one of the largest B2B seller studies ever done. 
Um, and it was simply a response to try to figure out what was driving performance in an extremely difficult economy post-recession. And that's where we found this set of behaviors. Um, that is where we found challenge. That is where we found commercial insight. We found these are things that high performers were out doing to combat a very difficult market. Hmm. Um, what we've come to learn since then is not only were they doing it to combat that market, they were doing it because it was what buyers were demanding. And if there's one thing I think we've learned from a performance standpoint, high performers do one thing uniquely better than everyone else, and that's respond to changing buyer demand sooner, full stop, right? That is the thing that they deliver on. So unlike a lot of models where I tell you what I think you should do, or I tell you the world needs a new process, this was a model that was found out in nature that we've been very successful in, in replicating for organizations. Um, actually transforming your sales organization, not from box A to box B or from relationship builder to challenger, but rather helping you organizationally manage the complexities to get as many reps performing like a challenger in front of a customer as effectively as you can. And it really is that simple. I mean, we've got a host of products and services, but they're all designed to do one thing, which is how do we deliver like challengers more often in front of more customers to win disproportionately? which as I'm sure you know, it's not a zero sum game. If you're challengers, you don't win every deal. If you get everybody in your org to be challengers, you don't win every deal, but it's by far the bet that is most likely to yield results. Yeah, I like that. I, I, that? Love, I love that, man. That's, that's uh, my favorite thing you said was win disproportionately. That, that, honestly, that, that speaks my language. This whole show, people listen to it because they want to learn how do you take what the market gives and then some. That's what you help people do every single day, right? That, that, that's it. I mean, and you know, it is, you know, I was just down at a meeting in Raleigh last week, and, and one of the conversations we had was around, well, well, can everybody make that journey, right? Can everybody be a challenger? And the answer is, well, everybody can learn to shoot a basketball, right? Because I can teach you the behaviors required to do that. You're always going to have performance variance among that group. For sure. What we're suggesting in a lot of ways is, don't play soccer, play basketball, and work really hard organizationally to get everybody good at demonstrating those behaviors, you'll always have a performance curve. Our goal is to shift the whole performance curve, 5.6.7 points to the right. And to do that, you have a massive yield on the organization. So again, you know, what I love about it, it is behavioral in nature. It is not you're born this way. Um, you can change these behaviors through effective coaching, through development, through actually teaching these behaviors. You'll always need to work at them. But again, the goal is not to be a challenger. The goal is to behave like a challenger more often in front of more customers to, again, win disproportionately. And that's all you can really do as a sales leader is attempt to stack the deck as effectively as you can. And to do that, the first question every sales leader should ask is the one you asked at the beginning. So what does good look like in front of the customer? Yeah. Right? Do I know what that is and can I define it? If I can't, I better figure it out. I can't wait to dive in. This is going to be such a killer conversation. Now, you'd mentioned that there's two parts, but that's the challenging part. You guys are, uh, you guys yeah. are, you guys are doing some things different. Can you share a little bit about what's happened with the organization and, and then I want to learn more yeah, about for you? Sure. Yeah. For sure. So, I mean, you know, obviously we were, uh, inside of the corporate executive board CB for years and years. Um, CB was acquired by Gartner. Um, you know, we're growing at 20, 30 points a year in our business alone. Um, but Gartner made a, a strategic decision that they wanted, you know, what they would consider the non-core pieces 
um, to move outside of the business so they could focus on their seat-based model, which is great. Uh, it gave us the opportunity to bring really the entirety of that challenger organization plus the effortless experience organization, which I'll touch on in a second, and bring those out. Uh, we're now owned by Marlin uh, Equity, so owned by private equity. And it's really freed us up to chart our own course when it comes to what do we want to do from a product perspective? What do we want to do from a research perspective? What do we want to do from following this story wherever it goes? Um, so that's been great. That's been exciting where before there were always going to be constraints about um, how big we could grow inside a business that was only seeking kind of recurring revenue. Um, so getting out on our own, but bringing the entirety of the team, which is one of the, the conversations I have with a lot of folks we've worked with in the past is, hey, I hear you guys implement Challenger too. And you kind of have to level set and say, no, no, we are the entire implementation arm of Challenger, right? We have <laughs> brought that entire group with us. Um, there is no other group that implements Challenger. Uh, it's interesting. We get questions often on well, who are your competitors that implement Challenger? Think, well, that's one of the nice things about proprietary intellectual property. There's nobody else in the world that implements challenge. Now there are other competitors that will take pieces of it and change the terminology and change the language. Often we find they're just repurposing some of their older content, their older stuff and try to trade on the names. But right. for those organizations that want to pursue this as an end state, there's one company that helps you implement it and that's us. So that's an exciting position to hold. Yeah. Now we've got to follow through on the promise of making sure we don't just get the first part of the journey right, but that we've mapped out two, three, four years of how do you continue to work at this and have one partner that can help you on everything from hiring to behavior change to tools to workflow tools all the way through to the back end, um, end to end. And, and, and that's where we're in the process of, of really ramping up and building out. Well, it's exciting. I, and I love it. I, I, you can hear the energy in your voice as you talk about the possibilities that are in front of you as you stand on, on this as your own company rather than an extension of a company with maybe a slightly different focus. And maybe my favorite thing you talked about so far, Kevin, is how this was something that was found and you're going to follow it wherever it takes. I think that makes yeah. it so meaningful and so relevant. So we're going to dive into some of those principles here in this conversation. But one of the things that, that uh, our listeners always like to hear is, can you just take just quickly and just share a few career highlights for yourself? How did you land in a place as cool as Challenger? That's a really cool story. You're in a really uh, desirable spot. How did you get into sales and how did it lead to Challenger? Uh, yeah, so I mean, my, mine's an easy story, right? Uh, I got into sales right out of school. Um, I laugh now as I was just talking to some of our uh, business development associates this morning who are, you know, <laughs> I can't get a direct phone number that easily. What do I do? Right. And I'm like, well, I started in telecom, right, where it was, you know, you put on your wool suit in D.C. in the summer and you roll through, you know, 50 doors trying to get a meeting in the moment that day live. Right. So different time, I think, different tolerance for uh, struggle. Uh, but I started writing telecom at that time back in the 90s, very fast-moving space, lots of growth opportunities. I'm all here in D.C., so um, spent that time as an individual contributor, sales manager, and eventually found my way to CEB, I'd say about 15 years ago. And for me, CEB was where I'd say my fire got um, really lit on, you know, having a passion for what CEB did really well, which was to you know, you can call it disagreement research, you can call it insight-led, but the idea of going out and taking commonly held uh, positions and doing the work, the primary research, to figure out 
are those right, right? You know, we find sales leaders hold lots of beliefs and many of them are wrong. So when you, when you got into CB and I was actually selling on the membership side at the beginning where you would go out and you say, listen, we've got a very unique perspective based on just trying to troubleshoot problems to give you answers that you're not going to find on your own because you're busy running a company. You're busy running sales in a company and it's hard to pull up and say, man, am I just doing what I've always done because I've always done it? Or am I actually pursuing an end state that's going to solve the pain I'm feeling? So the ability to go out and sell that and you start to realize, you know, you fast forward into challenger and realize like that was the birth of even internally selling like a challenger where you would go out and everything you led with was there was something happening in the market you didn't understand that we had a unique perspective on. That is the front end of commercial insight. And then on the back end, tying that back to something we did uniquely well. So I spent seven, eight years on the membership side um, in individual contributor manager roles and then spent the last eight years and moved over to the professional services side of the business and was there really from the very beginning where we went from largely an organization that that helped company troubleshoot problems. We delivered a lot of assessment work, you know, some of the old time and productivity work. And as Challenger started to kind of take hold, we very quickly realized not only was there a market opportunity, there was market demand from within the membership at CB. It said, I want to do this. I don't know how. Mm. So us pivoting that what was an assessment business and said, let's go solve this. Being there from the beginning, both, again, as an individual contributor, manager, and now a sales leader, the completeness of seeing that story from just an idea from, I, mean, I still remember having a conversation with Matt Dixon, Brent Adamson, Nick Toman when they first found some of these data points and how much of this resonates. And it was that epiphany of like, it all resonates. It all does. It yeah, very, it all does. Yeah. Very unique perspective. Right. And so, you know, over time, as, as uh, the business started to grow, uh, increasing management responsibility here and then stepped into a sales leadership role globally for both sales and marketing uh, beginning of last year and the end of the year before. Um, so pretty straight line role in sales, lots of individual contributor experience, lots of sales management experience and really excited to kind of take ownership of, of our mission, which is to grow, grow, grow. So uh, excited well, to see where we can go. That's a killer story. I love it. I relate to everything you said. I was actually, uh, several years ago, I was one of those people that was a subscriber, a member to the, to that sales executive council. And you're right. It yep. answered all kinds of questions. Um, it was worth every penny of the membership and it was a game changer for me in my career as a sales leader without a doubt. So, so I'm drinking what you're, what you're serving up, man, because I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in what you guys do, which is why I'm so excited to start this conversation with the next question. You have the opportunity to work with sales leaders weekly. I mean, around the world. I mean, they're everywhere. You, that's what you guys do. You must have a unique perspective as seeing what the very best ones do versus what the average to below average ones do. What are some of the things that stand out to you, Kevin, that you see that the great sales leaders do that maybe the rest don't do so well? It's a good question. Uh, I mean, it's it's interesting. I'm going to answer the question the same way I would teach the answer when I'm out talking to sales leaders. I think if I reflect on thousands of conversations with sales leaders, but hundreds of engagements, um, and I would say even some of the engagements we do, there are mistakes made by sales leaders, right? And I think the biggest one I see is sales leaders not willing to carry the water for their people. And I mean that in a very specific way, right? So they are willing to run the plays they have always run, 
and expect different results. When presented with disruptive ideas, they want to turn away from those because it's uncomfortable. They want to go back to what they do, which, no, 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 I just do more meetings or I'll just put my process in, or if they would just say what I want them to say, they'll win. Um, where I think the best sales leaders are constantly out thinking like, what is that disruptive idea that I don't know, right? What is the thing that I can actually take and figure out, you know what, if I could win at that, I can, again, disproportionately deliver value. And then the second question of that is, if I believe that disruptive idea, what do I have to actually manage from a complexity perspective to enable the field to deliver? And you almost find it's a binary left and right where, I won't say bad sales leaders, but sales leaders that can struggle, they live over here on the right. They turn away from disruptive ideas and they want complexity to live out at the seller. Hmm. Profound sales leaders, I think, think about it as how do I manage that complexity and how do I seek disruptive ideas regardless of how difficult and then build the systems and processes centrally to manage that complexity to enable disproportionate success at the seller level. So that's an interesting concept, and, and I can I can see why sometimes they want to turn back to what they're comfortable with, because I, I still think that our job and the people that listen to our show, I think we've got the toughest job in business, Kevin, uh, as a sales leader. It's it's a tough challenge to go out and figure out how we're going to grow, uh, and many times not knowing where it's going to come from. Um, what do you think can give those sales leaders the courage to be more disruptive and go away from what they've always yeah. done? Well, here, here's the challenge I would often give sales leaders is I don't know that it requires courage okay. as much as it requires stronger fear and realization of what's going to happen. <laughs> right? I think it's often much easier to look at the play that's being called and say, listen, and I, look, I have run many meetings where I'm okay if somebody wants to say, I, I don't think challengers right answer. Right? And those meetings typically end with me asking a sales leader to say, that's fantastic. Like, you don't have to believe that. I would be curious to hear your plan, though, because you'd better have a plan. Because absent a plan, the clock is ticking. You've been in seat 12 months. You've got less than 12 to go. That's right. Right? Because if what you're doing is not yielding those results, doing more of it, I can almost guarantee won't. Um, so I think that's more where, where we land, which is if you can show me a path that what you're doing is yielding these disproportionate returns and you don't see any change on the buyer side of the ledger – Keep doing it, man. Do them better. Do them faster. Like, invest there. But if either one of those things are happening, which you're getting a lower yield per, per thing you're doing, or you're starting to sense and feel and can actually see buyer dysfunction increasing, you had better start seeking an alternative, or you will be seeking a different job. That is super insightful. I like that. And, and you're right on the money because the industry numbers that, again, just I just saw the recent ones. We're down to somewhere between 18 and 19 months for the average tenure for a sales leader. And so what you're telling me it's is a scary number, of, right? It, yeah. No, go. You're right. It's scary. scary. It's very scary. And what it tells me as I listen to you is they just aren't, uh, they don't fit. Maybe it's, I love how you said we need more fear, but, but I guess what it's telling me is I'm trying to process what you're saying, Kevin, is, they aren't, uh, they aren't, they aren't looking to disrupt what they're doing. They, they, they aren't coming up with a new plan. They're just trying to work hard. Look, and I think it's some of the same things we see at the seller level, right? I think we see sellers are faced with a lot of hard decisions as well. And you'll see a big piece of that organization default to, I'll just try to do more. I'll just run the hard worker play and 
that's great if you're selling a very non-complex item or you're selling and you have the least expensive item, that might work. But if those dynamics change, or you're in a more competitive market, you don't have pure unique differentiation, you're not the low cost provider, those efforts will not yield success. Hmm. And, and that's the, the hard question I think for, for sales leaders when they stare at the totality of the field, I'd, I'd make it even a little bit simpler. And the question that I would ask often of sales leaders is the one you started this whole podcast with, which is just tell me what good looks like in front of the customer. And I think you would be floored to understand how many times I've had that question answered effectively. It's got to be few, so it's close right? to zero. Yeah, it's close to zero. Right. And then you start to ask all of these other questions around if you don't know what that's supposed to look like. And if you think that's seller-specific, how do you invest in anything or provide any scale or reduce any complexity or make smart investments in technology or process or anything else if you can't answer that first question? So why is that so hard to answer? Because I see the same thing. I mean, it's, it's sometimes as evident when we work with people, Kevin, because uh, you know what we do. We, we, we help with creating coaching systems. Sometimes I yep. can't get people to even agree on what the goal of a sales stage is. Yeah. Um, so look, so I think hard? some of this is, well, I think some of it is, the, look, I mean, I think the goal of the sales stage, even that gets defined back a level, which is like, what are we trying to do with the customer? Like, what's the goal of that conversation? I think the more senior sales leaders get in an organization, the further away they get from those conversations, they want to start answering it in very big terms, right? I'll hear things like, well, we're trying to get them to really value what we do. We're trying to really understand their business. Right. And any of those things, I look at those and I say, okay, what does anything that you just mentioned have anything to do with adding value to the customer? Because hmm. it doesn't sound like they're getting any value out of those interactions as well. And I think it's just the further they get away from it, they want to think more, quote unquote, strategically. And they don't realize that that strategic thought is not particularly helpful at the seller level in winning those hand to hand combat conversations. And, and I mean, I think that that is a really critical element for sales leaders to get right. And honestly, I think some of them have been overwhelmed by the sales enablement tech stack, just so many other demands on here's a better way to do X or a better way to do Y. And there's really cool technology out there. Yours is one of the pieces like we've we've had Xmoyant installed. I think it gives you a really unique visibility into the sales org, gives managers better tools. I love it. But again, if you can't define what good looks like first, Yes, you will get caught yeah. chasing fireflies all day on, well, maybe this will work, or maybe that will work. And it's just a simple question. That will work to do what? To make a process that you don't know is better, more efficient? Or, like, you know what I mean? It's a, yes. I just, it is our anchor position of, you can tell me you've got a better answer to what good looks like, and we can part as friends, but I kind of need to hear what that is. So that, is that a starting point? Is that when you when you see these sales leaders, is it, it, if we can't talk about and really understand clearly and have agreement on what good looks like, we're going to have a hard time scaling? Yeah, I mean, look, if you just think about the the story that we tell, if I can't get agreement on the buyer dysfunction problems from a sales leader, right? In other words, if I have the very first element of what we would call a sales conversation that only talks about what we see from a unique perspective across thousands of B2B sales organizations, which say, what's happening on the other side of the ledger? What's happening with buyers? If I can't get sales leaders to agree on that, 
I'll tell you right now, Challenger's not the right answer. Because Challenger is the answer to that question. Love it. Right? So if they look at me and say, no, 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 we don't have any of that pain, I'm like, well, great, just do more of what you're doing. <laughs> like, I can't help you, which is interesting in our space because unlike other, quote, unquote, training providers that are in the market, I don't have a bag of offerings that say, oh, you don't like Challenger, what about X or what about Y? Do you want to try Z? We sell one thing. And we've got lots of ways to help companies enablement, but that one thing gives us a ton of clarity of the, the landscape in front of us, which is, okay, like, we know this is right answer. Why would we implement 12 different models of it? So let's not do that. Let's stick with right answer. And let's put the onus where it belongs on, like, it's our job to teach sales leaders why they should change. And if they disagree or don't buy that, like, that's okay. We're not going to win every conversation. So I want to I want to shift a little bit because you've teed this up perfectly, Kevin. I I'm thinking I'm actually as I sit here I'm looking at my bookshelf I'm seeing all three of your books. Okay, I'm seeing. Yep. Uh, we've already talked about the three. If I, I want to do a quick, you know, because this you guys implement, you guys turn these things into strategy, turn more than strategy, yep. turn these into execution. Uh, strategy is too weak of a term for what you guys. You, you help people institutionalize what you guys have researched and bring it to life. Is that a fair way to say what you do? For sure, right? I think if you think about all those books, I mean, they're, they're all the posit to the problem, right? Um, right? Like there's no implementation answer in there that says here's exactly how you get after it. They are all three quarters, this is the problem, yeah. and this is what the best people are doing about it. Um, first book is obviously all around, you know, customers are withdrawing from, these sales conversations are getting migrated down more junior because we're not providing any value in it, right? Um, so let's stop so on how that. How do you re-anchor? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. So let's stop on that one. So I, I see challenger sale. It's exactly what you just said. I think commercial insight. Is that a fair uh, top of mind for that book? Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's two, right? It's, it's behavioral change and commercial insight I'd consider as the kind of the secret sauce that you have to figure out how to deliver that to the customer in order to win the sales experience, which they've actually articulated as the single most important thing and the biggest variable in their interactions with sellers. So you've got this known target now, which is how do we influence and directionally change the sales experience? That's the question that the buyers say, when you do that, I'll reward you. Yeah. Well, how is commercial insight? And then there's a behavioral answer of, and what what do you need to teach your sellers to behave like in order to effectively deliver commercial insight to that bullseye of that sales experience? So that, I mean, when you guys came out with this, everybody started talking about commercial insight, insight and then that behavioral experience. Everybody started talking about it. You're right. I saw copycats coming out of the woodwork. I had the opportunity to do a little work with you guys, and that's one of the reasons I, I felt such a high uh, level of respect for what you guys and your organization do. I say easy to talk about, hard to do. Any tips if you're thinking about the stuff from that first book that, you know, stop talking about and thinking yeah. about doing? So, I mean, I would totally agree with you. Uh, you know, often we get uh, conversations and, you know, folks want in the room uh, consulting where it says, well, here, here's my, here's the story we're telling. Is it commercial insight? And I look at it and I go through the slides and I'm like, I have no idea. We go, what do you mean? You're the challenger expert. How do you have no idea? Well, I said, well, first of all, I don't know if the problem you're framing up is actually an unknown customer challenge or not. Um, I also don't know if the thing you're claiming is a unique differentiator is an actual unique differentiator. So 
those are the two sides of the ledger. It's very hard, right, for an individual. It's very doable for an organization. It requires you to think differently. Um, but the first thing I would tell you is it's very hard for anybody outside. And we've got, again, there are other copycats in the space. I'm going, oh, no, no, that's not commercial insight. Just move this slide to here, and that's commercial insight. And so how would you know that unless you actually know the answer to those first two questions, which is, is this truly unique to your business? Super insightful. And is this an unmet customer challenge? And if you don't know the entire customer landscape, you can't answer those two. So very hard to know if it's um, actually commercial insight. Matter of fact, we've got examples that I would show you in the um, the choreography were perfect. I mean, every slide, every piece of the story fit the messaging choreography perfectly. And it was absolutely not commercial insight because it wasn't solving an unknown customer challenge. It was solving a non-existent customer challenge. Um, so one minor slip can cause angst there. Uh, there are ways to get after it. Um, I think it does require the company to think a little bit differently. Um, you can do it on your own. Um, it's harder because there's tons of ingrained thinking within your organization. Um, you know, we've probably run 400 messaging engagements at clients. We've never not come back with commercial insight. Um, I will tell you if you interview those 400 customers, what they would tell you the, the most value they got, barring the message itself, was being in a room where you had a head of sales, a head of marketing, potentially a product or business line owner, a general manager, um, product development. You had this diverse group of 12 to 15 people, and it was the first time they all got in a room where there was somebody to actually arbitrate the conversation Yeah, that could put all the list of differentiators on a board. And you'd be shocked. We would start that on, first we'd define what do you want to sell, who do you want to sell it to, stakeholders and product. And then we'd say, okay, what are all the differentiators? And what you typically have is the more senior you are in the organization, the more awesome differentiators you can write on that board. Um, I'll also tell you the more senior you are in the organization, the less that are actual differentiators. The more close to the customer you are, the better shot you have. But seeing that entire room where you write 99 differentiators on a board, and very quickly through just a couple questions, you eliminate 97 of them. Wow. And you realize those aren't differentiators, right? Those are things we like to talk about. Those are things we put in our PowerPoint decks. Those are things that frustrate our sellers because when we come back from meeting and go, well, did you tell them we do X or Y? The seller's sitting there thinking, well, yeah, but so does everybody else. And you're like, well, no, no, that's what we got to hammer. It's in the deck. Didn't you get it? <laughs> it's like, well, no, but nobody cares about that. It's not unique to us. Nobody's going to pay us for that. Right? So you've got that whole side of the ledger. And then the other side is actually pushing companies to understand, do they understand their customers? Do they actually understand what their customers are trying to get done? How often so often when you do that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you're, you're, no, no. I was just going to say so often you see that question um, get misconstrued to say, what is the customer trying to get done as it relates to our products and services? That's the wrong question. The question needs to be, what is the customer just trying to get done? If I'm the general manager of business A and I'm the buyer, what do I wake up actually thinking about? What am I trying to do with that business? What mistakes in thinking have I done to get after that goal? Forget us for a minute. Take us out of the equation. Take us as the seller out of the equation. Do we actually just understand those? And then can we begin to draw that thread from what our truly unique differentiators are, what that individual is trying to get done, and build a connective story to teach them some failed assumption in how they plan to get after what they need to get done that actually leads specifically back to us. So there's definitely an architecture. There's definitely a choreography. You can know all that and still get it wrong. Um, 
So it is dicey, uh, but I will tell you um, it should be the goal of every sales and marketing organization for sure. And you might not always get it 100% pure, but you better get it close. Yeah, and it sounds like in your experience, we have lots of times that we think we've got it right, but upon just a couple of questions, you find out very quickly you got some red herrings. Is that accurate? Yeah, or we get it right, but it's a point in time, right? Right. Uh, I mean, I think one of the things yeah. we, we also yeah. figure is, you know, <laughs> I built it, I nailed it, it's perfect. Well, three months later, your competitor can do that. So, I mean, how do you actually build – individual capability and a process internally that it is not just a point in time. I mean, and, and the other thing that holds people back on the messaging front is if I've got a hundred product SKUs, right? What they'll quickly come to is they, you know, say, okay, well, here's what it costs to run a messaging engagement, uh, carry the one, do the math. Sounds like you guys want like $200 million for me to do a hundred products. Well, no, you don't need to do a hundred insights, but you need to do one, right? That's where you have to start, right? Yeah. If it's what customers need, it's what sellers need, it's what you should go build. But we're also not asking marketing to go do 30 new and different things. We don't want them to do more. We have to get marketing to realize a lot of what they do now doesn't get used. So why don't we stop doing the things that aren't getting used and start doing different that will enable sales to have different conversations that yield better returns. Crazy idea. Build stuff that gets used. I know, like, right? It's a crazy idea. But, and, and that's a hard conversation. That's a, often the hardest conversation for us up front is how do you get sales and marketing to finally look through the same lens? It's not one of you is doing better like, or more. I need you to do exactly what you're doing now because everybody's working hard. But what if we put one filter across the middle that said challenger is that filter? Let's finally agree on the content that we deliver gets after this. The way we have sales conversations, challenger. The way we coach, challenge. If we could actually get that one filter, we can eliminate tons of waste in an organization just by saying, let's all agree that that's the right answer. Hmm. That's a great insight. So we're starting to run, but I want to get, I want to run low, but I want to still, I want to take at least a sound bite from you on both of the other books because we yeah. got you. It's, it, I don't want to not do this for our listeners. So that's when I sure. say challenger sale, you just gave us an awesome, a uh, couple of tips. When I say challenger customer, I think buyer dysfunction. Am I thinking the right thing when I say that book? Yeah, I'd say it's, it's buyer dysfunction is the, the big banner, um, obviously, right? I mean, this idea of like the overwhelmed buyer where they've got too much information that's leading them to not make good decisions. That coupled with too many stakeholders involved in the process that unfortunately all the data we've had, you know, every decision maker that joins um, is more likely to lead to a no decision, which just makes sense. If you think yeah. if I've got 10 people in a conversation about a purchase, unless I'm very careful about how I'm coaching each of those, what I'm going to wind up with is everybody saying, let's just stick with the thing we all agree we don't like uh, because all these other things seem like they're just going to cause angst. Yeah. So yeah, buyer dysfunction leads the two headlines would be um, similar to challenger, even with that being the landscape, um, the guidance that, that sales leaders give their sellers is, well, go find that senior buyer. And I'm sure you see it all the time, right? Like, go find um, head of function. Yep. They're our buyer. Get more meetings with head of function. Well, we went and did a bunch of primary research around that to understand, well, is that the right answer? And so well, it's interesting when you look at high performers and core performers, take title out of it. They actually pursue a very different set of stakeholders. And, the, you know, Tagline, obviously, is high performers pursue this profile of mobilizers. Core performers pursue this profile of talkers. 
the easiest one to understand the difference is, you know, when we've profiled about in the book, but you take one that we call the skeptic, right? And high performers have a skeptic in a meeting. How do they feel about it? They feel super engaged because they're like, all right, somebody's actually trying to consider what I'm talking about. Even if they're skeptical about it, they're in the conversation. I have a chance to win. Yeah. Core performers yeah. have that same skeptic. Oh my God, he hated it. He hated it. I'll do anything to not meet with him. I'm going to go back and meet with Bill because Bill's always available. He talks to me whenever I want. He fills my calendar up with meetings. That's great. So you've got this binary decision where high performers chase these three particular profiles and mobilizers, core performers chase three totally alternate profiles and talkers. So it's about trying to give guidance where when you develop commercial insight, you've got the behaviors to deliver it. Who do I deliver it to? Who do I deliver it to that will actually take action and manage this consensus environment? That's part one of the book. Part two is this idea of commercial coaching. Right. So how do I think about um, not trusting the buyer to tell me how they're going to buy, but actually teaching these buyers when they're buying a very complex solution with lots of different stakeholders, how they need to manage the process. So actually arming sellers with roadmaps on how do I coach the customer on how to make this purchase successful versus rely on them. Like the old state of I'll go to these customers and get, get good information about how they want to buy doesn't hold water in this world of buyer dysfunction. I've got to go out and coach them on how they should buy. Um, so, I mean, those are the two big right. headlines out of the book. And, and then just real quick on effortless, just yep, let's go there. probably the let's one go that there. fewer folks know about. Um, it's all about um, a tangential story that's very related, right? I mean, the, 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 the business here at Challenger is moving towards this idea of how do you unlock the uncommon customer experience? And I think for us, that's those three prongs, right? It is, it's sales, it's marketing, but it's also service. And the effortless experience is all about um, tools and technology, again, even in that space, will not save you, right? They can make you more efficient. Um, they can make information more readily accessible. But ultimately, what customers want in a service interaction is they simply want you to reduce their effort. And if you can do that, they will reward you yet again disproportionately with customer satisfaction, net promoter score. So here you got three stories that all point back to the same thing is you've got to articulate what good looks like. You've got to change those behaviors in both sales, marketing and or in all sales, marketing and service. If you can do that, all of the other stuff around sales tech, around everything else can help enable that, but point it, point it the right way. So that's, that really was, you kind of summed it up in a way that I didn't anticipate, Kevin. One of the questions that I had on my list of things we might talk about, I know we're out of time and we got to wrap this up, but, and by the way, this has been amazing, even better than I'd hoped. One of my questions was, as you help organizations into institutionalize this, how do you get institutional, you know, alignment and adoption, et cetera? And you just yeah. said, use the, use the filter, call it whatever you want to call it, but make sure the filters align and it all points back to the same place. Am I hearing you right? Is, is that a good step one if you want to have everybody playing in the, in the same way? Yeah, and I think, you know, and, and honestly, I, you got to be patient, right? I mean, you have to be patient with these organizations and, and understand what the tea leaves are telling you. I know everybody wants deals now. I know everybody wants to win now. I know everybody wants to compress sales cycles. That's fantastic. But if the reality that you're selling into is this complex world of diverse stakeholders, take our business. I might have to have the conversation around is Challenger right answer four or five or six or eight times within an organization before we ever move to another step, before we ever talk about what we can do to implement it. Um, 
because ultimately they need that foundation to first all decide, is it right answer? Because if they think mm, it might be right answer, and I wind up at the end of our sales process selling against four of our competitors that don't implement Challenger, that's a big waste of time. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think for us, it's unique because it's binary, right? We either get people to believe Challenger is right answer to a problem we articulate or we don't. Good news, if we don't, we lose early. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've got to provide for us that level of disruptive insight to build the right kind of funnel. Um, and to, again, either win disproportionately or lose early. So I think Challenger is a good kind of target for, for other organizations to think about. Ours is probably a simpler story uh, with tons of data, but I think that's what organizations should be aspiring to get to. What's next? Where's the future of all this heading, you think? Look, I think we want to go back to our roots in some ways. I mean, we want to continue, and, you know, we've actually built some of the, the research capability here to ensure that we're not beholden to, hey, Challenger was right answer five years ago, so it's still right answer today. Um, look, we firmly believe that. We've got data to support that, but we want to actually continue to build up our internal research capability. We've actually hired uh, one of the initial data scientists that wrote the initial story, that did the initial study. Um, so we're really eager to get back to that type of work where um, as the story continues to evolve, as buyer dysfunction changes, we don't want to wait and we don't have to wait anymore for Gartner to decide if they want to do work on that. We're going to do primary work on that, right? We're going to do the, the research there. Um, I think you'll see more from us on the, the digital learning side as well. I think like we've got uh, probably 80% of our business is still live development, but as more of the market demands and seeks alternative ways to not just train their sales team, but train their entire commercial organization. I think you'll see us um, push further onto the digital learning side. We're already there in the middle market space, but I think you'll more to come, but I think you'll see more of that in large enterprise as well. All right. So I'm, we're out of time. We took more than we we're supposed to, but your, your message was so great. Thank you for being willing to give us a little bit more, a few more minutes. I, I really appreciate it. I wrap every interview up the same way. Uh, three quick questions. Uh, number one, uh, toughest sales leadership challenge that you've had to experience and, and how'd you face it down? Uh, standing up uh, a business after you'd been uh, tucked inside a, a billion dollar and $4 billion business where there was research falling off of uh, every shelf that could help shape <laughs> your story. Uh, I think that's the toughest and also I think most rewarding. Um, and I tell you, we're in process. Okay. Good one. I like it. I, and I can't wait to get an update from you, you know, eight months to a year from now on how things are going. Um, great. Second, uh, we found that great leaders are readers and I don't care if it's books. I don't care if it's audibles. I don't care if it's blogs, but the great ones never stop trying to learn. Like what you just said, you, you say, Hey, what we did five years ago was point in time. We're going to make sure we stay current. What are some things that great yep. sales leaders ought to be reading if they want to make sure that they're staying current? Um, look, I'll give you one blast from the past that's old that many have read, which is The Goal. Um, Good. Totally out of left field. I mean, um, Tom Monahan, the old CEO at CB, yeah. told me to go out in Vegas, read this book, read it on the flight back. Just a fascinating view of, you know, the, the theory of constraints and trying to actually figure out what is holding the sales org back and eliminating that. Um, I think often if people read that book and then start to apply that and think about, all right, well, what is it? I think you'll find it's a lack of direction on how to combat some of this buyer dysfunction that you've talked about. Um, I love any of the Michael Lewis stuff. I think um, just kind of some of the bigger shifts you're seeing in how people think now that's different than um, 
than how they used to. Really helpful stuff. Last, always is the same, man. Um, you are doing terrific work. We appreciate everything you've done. This has been fantastic. I know people are going to want to get more. How do they connect with you? How do they learn more from you? How do they pick up more insights from you and the Challenger team? How, how do they get more of you? Sure. Yeah, listen, I mean, feel free to go to the website, uh, challengerinc.com, challengerinc.com, uh, or just email me directly, kevin.hart at challengerinc.com. Uh, we've got, you know, 45 sales folks out in the field happy to talk to you. We've got our research team here. We've got our project team here. So uh, we'll connect you with the right person. If you just want to have a conversation about, hey, is this thing right for us, um, I'm happy to hop on the phone with you. So shoot me a note. Kevin Hart's been part of from day one. It was not a revolution. It's been an evolution. I love how you're pointing all three things back to that same point. And I hope our listeners today have really got some ideas of when they get out of their car or off the treadmill or whatever they're doing on how they can go and create this alignment that removes so much of the dysfunction uh, across the board. Kevin, you've been a fantastic guest. Thank you so much for joining us. And as always, happy selling. Hey, thanks, man. You too. Talk to you soon, Rob. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? And I thought it was a real treat to have Kevin join us. Um, Challenger has done a lot of things in the modern sales world. Uh, they've, they've really helped salespeople and sales leaders approach the craft differently. And uh, I'm, I'm a fan of their work. I'm a fan of the company. I know them uh, personally, and I like the people that are there. I, I, in fact, I have a lot of our customers that are uh, officially engaged with Challenger, uh, and they've shared some great experiences on what it's like to be a Challenger customer. That said, if I was to boil down Kevin's conversation with me into four words, I would say disrupt to get disproportionate. I'll say it again. Disrupt to get disproportionate. Uh, the premise of this show and the, and the purpose that we are in business as sales leaders is to help the, us take what the market gives and then some. Uh, we want as many and then some moments as possible. Uh, Kevin called that disproportionate growth. It's a lot more smarter way of saying it than I do, um, but I like it. How do you get disproportionate results? How do you get disproportionate growth? How do you get disproportionate returns? Uh, he must have said that 10, 15 times in, the, in our conversation today. And so I hope that as you're listening to this, you're asking yourself, am I getting disproportionate results? And I would start with, am I getting disproportionate results to my market? But then I would say, am I getting disproportionate results given our normal? So if you're already a high growth uh, customer company, how do you find ways to grow even faster? <clears throat> um, Kevin really made, I thought, some great points. He started with, what does good look like? He said the very first thing that everything starts with is, do we really know and understand and agree on what good looks like? I thought it was really smart. I work with sales organizations all around the world, as you know, and I find it very rare for people to have agreement on what good looks like. In fact, he said that the most, it was near zero is his experience that people had agreement on, on what that was. <clears throat> and so I would really start with that. Uh, I would take his advice and start with that. Because then the next, the next thing that we talked about was most of the time we just do what we've always done. And, and when we need better results, we, we just work harder. We expect our activities need to change. Uh, if last year's R needs to turn into the big, this year's R, so lowercase R turns into capital R, 
then we say, well, lowercase a needs, needs to turn into capital A, or, or, or maybe we just hire more people. And he called that the hard worker play, and I liked that. He said, you know, salespeople and sales leaders have a lot of commonalities in their approach to solving different challenges. And a very common one is the hard worker play. And the real thing we should ask ourselves is, are we disrupting? Are we finding ways to disrupt so we can get disproportionate returns? And, and I thought a lot about what that meant to be disruptive and, and things that you might do to, to be disruptive. Because he asked a question that I thought really, really good. And in fact, I wrote it down in capital letters. He said, if you can't define what good looks like first, you will get caught chasing fireflies all day on things like, well, maybe this will work, or, well, maybe that will work. And, and he said, work to do what? And so I really loved that quote, you know, work to do what? Are we chasing fireflies or are we disrupting? I thought it was a fantastic lens for everything. Uh, are we doing what we're doing because it's disruptive, or are we doing what we're doing because it's what we've always done. You know, apply that to how we source leads. If you're an SDR, are, are we using SDRs because that's what we've always done? Or is that a way to disrupt uh, how we create connection with our customers? How you lead source, how you engage, how you follow up, how you retain, how you expand. How disruptive are you at every part of your business? If you're not getting disproportionate returns, then you're not disrupting enough, period. End of story. I think this is a really good lens for you to take back, carve out some time, and look at every motion that's inside your organization and say, are we getting disproportionate returns? If yes, all right, let's make sure that we don't fall behind. If no, get disruptive, which then takes to the next thing that he said, just because you got it right in a point in time doesn't mean you're always going to. I thought that was really insightful. Don't let success at a point in time make you say, this is how we're always going to do it. Markets change. Customers change, products change, competitive forces change, capabilities change. And if we aren't changing with it, then we very likely, by definition, are not being disruptive. And then, again, by definition, we will not get disproportionate returns. I hope that that was interesting. I hope you leave uh, really focused on the last thing he emphasized uh, towards the very end. If we don't know what the customer is trying to get done, it is really tough to know how you can best disrupt. Make sure you really know what they're trying to do. Make sure you really know what they're trying to accomplish more than just what your differentiators are. Uh, your differentiators are only meaningful if they can really help you connect the dots to what they're trying to do. If you build that connective story to what they're actually trying to get done, you will have a very good chance to disrupt. If you disrupt, you have a very good chance to get disproportionate returns. I wish you, I wish you all disproportionate returns. I wish you all happy selling. I thank you for reaching out. More and more people are reaching out every week. I really appreciate the feedback. Keep telling me who you want on the show. Keep giving us those reviews. If you haven't reviewed the show yet, please, please go give us that uh, that review. And uh, we'll keep making it easier for people to find the show, which will make it easier to get uh, these great, great guests. Special thanks to Kevin Hart. Special thanks to Challenger. If you're not following them, go learn about them. Uh, and as always, don't worry. Just execute, because we got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exploit. 
the modern sales leadership platform for Salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com.